Hey, just before we get started, I want to give a shout out to those of you who have helped support the show to date. I want to thank you very much. It means a lot to us and it really helps make the show what it is today. It's supposed to be built on a mix of advertising and listener support. And um, if you haven't and you find value in the show, I really encourage you and welcome you to support the show. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio and click on the support button. Shall we begin? Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tatt. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Rush. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. I'm Carol DeBell, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. I took a year off when I was younger and hiked and travelled all around, backpacked around Europe and Russia and all that. And, uh, and that really made me think, well, what am I doing here? So I went back to work and, and I was just not the same after that. I just realised that there was, you know, it took me a few more years to be in the position to, uh, you know, have, have the house and all the stuff. But, um, but definitely that. You know, the ability to, to step back for a year and look at and evaluate, you know, who I was and what I was doing. And um, for me, it, you know, it changed my life. Okay, uh, I'm Glenn Baker. I'm originally from Dunsborough, Western Australia, this little town down in the southern coast. And I ride motorbikes around the world. <laughs> Um, that's about it. I like to keep it simple. 
Glenn, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Where are you right now? I am currently in Revelstoke, British Columbia. So no, no, no. Really, here. really, Glenn, where are you really right now? More specifically than Revelstoke, um, I've been coerced to sit inside <laughs> a, a closet in the new house that I just moved into. So uh, I emptied the closet and uh, found my way onto a comfortable sleeping bag in a awkward position. Very nice. <laughs> so you were cramped into a small closet in a beautiful town of Revelstoke where most people are doing outdoors things. Yeah, and I've found the smallest, uh, least comfortable space uh, possible. <laughs> you, you said that you, you're you're a motorcyclist. That's how you describe yourself. Do you not have to work? Uh, I haven't worked for quite a while. Um, fortunately, you know, I worked really hard for my career, and um, I originally left to move to Canada four years ago. And um, after a year, I realized it wasn't uh, just a holiday. And I uh, went back and sold my house in, in West Australia, and uh, the adventure never finished. <laughs> so I continued traveling. Where does the motorcycle come into this? I mean, we've talked to a lot of Australians on this show, and, and it seems that, I mean, anybody on a farm is introduced to the motorcycle at an early age. Is that the same for you? Yeah, that's uh, pretty much my dad got me into motorcycling. Um, my whole family uh, ride motorbikes, but uh, it was just a farm thing. Um, you know, had a little Suzuki cruise around the paddock on, uh, with my big brother and my dad and, uh, eventually, you know, riding motocross and enduro bikes and street bikes. And, and then actually I took quite a, a few years off in my, in my twenties when I was doing my apprenticeship, I, I got rid of my Ninja and, um, I, I thought that was it. I thought motorbikes were done. Um, but then I guess I was, um, looking at traveling more. I was backpacking, doing a lot of hiking in Europe and Asia. And uh, my best friend and I decided, oh, why don't we you know, get scooters? Because that's what they do in Asia and uh, ride what the locals ride. And that kind of opened up a bit of a can of worms because uh, not long after that, we were doing some charity rides and the Ho Chi Minh Trail and I rode uh, northern Thailand to Singapore. And, and it just sort of started, uh, you know, it was a yeah, there was a lot happened uh, after All that. On scooters, on scooters, yeah. <laughs> so um, we we rode scooters for thousands of miles all around Asia, um, and and that really sort of uh, reignited, I guess, the passion to ride. And actually, it it made me realize the potential it had to um, explore countries and really sort of be a part of the the culture and the community, not just sort of not just seeing it as you cruise past but you know you actually sort of initiated <laughs> it sounds sort of like there was there's a transition there though too because you i think from what you mentioned there there's a lot of street bikes in your past and then you get into the scooter and all of a sudden it becomes more of a travel thing is that right yeah well um you know just uh, exploring you know i wanted to get get out of the cities and go and see the you know the what what the real people how they live you know this is when i was in my young in my early 20s and um I decided, you know, I wasn't into partying and stuff, so it was it was just sort of natural progression to explore those countries more. And then as that as that progressed, I guess I got a little bit older and started wanting to do some charity riding, you know, to give back. You know, I was pretty lucky to have a really good job and um, it allowed me the time off. You know, I took months off every year and and travelled that way. So um, yeah, I was fortunate, and I wanted to to try and combine you know, 
adventure and motorcycle and travel but backpack and trying to do it all you know and, and that was my way of doing it and this was long before I ever knew anything about adventure riding or you know BMWs or anything like that um, obviously you know I just kind of took off and just explored I didn't even take photos or I didn't know anything about social media um, or anything back then you're an electrician yeah, yeah. So I was an electrician. I don't really identify with that anymore because uh, it feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> but do you still do that for when you do to anybody? No, I haven't since uh, April 2013. I, I left. Uh, I was working in an underground gold mine um, in Western Australia. And at the time, um, I was with my ex-girlfriend and uh, she was English. And we had decided, well, I'd kind of decided I'd had enough. Um you know, since working my, all through my 20s mining and I decided to, uh, I wanted to live somewhere overseas. So I, I quit thinking I would be back in a year or two. And uh, if you ask my mum, she probably still thinks I'm coming back <laughs> because uh, <laughs> my don't, things... <laughs> don't let your mum hear this then. <laughs> well, well, the idea was, you know, to condense my house. When, when, I, when I sold my house in Australia, I sort of condensed it into one bedroom in their house they were retired to. And uh, you know, I'll be back in a year, Mum. And uh, that was four years ago. And so, mm. <laughs> you know, they they still think I'm coming back to get my stuff. <laughs> right. She's probably still vacuuming your room every week. Yeah, I think my pop stays there sometimes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was a interesting development, I guess. I, I never saw life taking this path. So you know, it's been a surprise to me as well. Where does the KLR come into it? Uh, so. <laughs> It's funny because KLR, it's so, oh, where do you, where do you begin? Well, the um, KLR, like that sort of represents adventure, doesn't it? I mean, that's like that, it was, that was the first big step for you. It wasn't to what we would call, what most people would call an adventure bike. Although, I mean, I honestly think the scooter is an adventure bike too, but, but that's sort of the, you know, I guess stepping up into that official recognized, visually recognized adventure bike. Definitely. And, um, but I mean, if you go back to Australia, obviously where I grew up, where I grew up, um, it's not popular over there um mm. the to be honest the first adventure rider that i really got to know was my friend scott and i was uh i was driving my new jeep with my ex-girlfriend uh, up the west australian coast and i was camping uh just near a really nice beach near monkey Mire. it's a beautiful uh there's a hostel there and a resort and that's about it in the whole town and you're hundreds of miles from anything and um this guy Scott, he was he was there on his uh, DRZ four hundred, and he was he was camping, and and that was the first time I'd ever seen anyone doing this kind of thing, and uh, I was fascinated because I was just like, you know I'd done some riding in Asia, but on a scooter and staying in Airbnbs type style, um, yeah, and Scott was kind of like, oh, I'm just riding this bike around Australia, you know, <laughs> and I was like, wow, that you can do that, <laughs> and. Um, I think that sort of left an impression on me because, you know, I had continued to strive to explore these places, but I couldn't do it on, on what I was riding with the gear that I had, you know. Um, so when I, when I came out to Canada, it was initially, um, I just, I just came for the winter and I thought, you know, I'll see where I go from here. And then for those of you of been to Revelstoke or started uh, hiking and exploring Revelstoke. It's, a, it's an amazing part of the Kootenays. And um, I needed a bike and I didn't have a lot of money at the time. Um, 
you know, I was kind of living on a budget and not working for a year and traveling. So I looked around and there was a KLR and I'd never ridden a KLR before, but um, had ridden Kawasaki dirt bikes. So I looked into them and this was a bargain. So I bought it. And um, yeah, I got a 2009 KLR. It was basically stock. Uh, it was off a, a pasta from Kamloops, actually. And he'd only put a few thousand kilometers on it and his back was playing up. So he couldn't uh, couldn't ride it anymore. So I, I picked it up off him in Kamloops and the, uh, the adventure began. <laughs> what was it about the DRZ when you said you saw the guy with the DRZ? What is it about a bike like that that sort of, I don't know, it, it just sparks the imagination? Yeah, they're really, um, I've owned a DRZ with uh, Supermoto wheels when I lived in the city briefly. Um, but they really, um, I don't know, they're, they're an awesome machine. <laughs> they, the, his was all blacked out, you know, it looked like Mad Max kind of thing. And hmm. um, yeah, just uh, it was all dirty and, yeah, you could tell he had ridden halfway around Australia, you know. And um, But I think that's it, isn't it? It's not so much that it's, um, it doesn't even have to be DRZ. It could be, you know, the KLR, it could be a BMW, it could be a, the, the V-Strom. There's just something about seeing the bike with the bags on it, I think, and maybe a slightly aggressive tire or something. There's something about that that really sparks the imagination. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like, uh, you know, obviously now riding the Triumph, um, it does get a lot of attention, <laughs> especially down in Mexico where I think I saw one speed triple the entire trip that I took. And, uh, uh, yeah, every time you stop, people stop and look at it because, you know, you've got big aggressive tires and all the gear and it probably doesn't look like I've showered for a while. And, you, know, <laughs> you think that's uh, an attractor? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I haven't showered in a while. It's uh, <laughs> one of those things you just kind of put up with and, um, yeah, definitely. You know, people people can see you're vulnerable uh, on on a machine like that. You know, you you've uh, really sort of uh, experienced the elements to to their full effect. And um, you know, there's no hiding when you're out there on a motorbike. You just you just on it and hold on. Well, you mentioned the Triumph. That's what you're riding now. You've obviously. Do you still have the KLR? No, so that, that's a that's um, a sad point, I guess. Um, I had a lot of memories. I think I did about forty thousand kilometers, and I, I logged about fifteen thousand kilometers off road on the KLR. Um, so a lot of memories, and I filmed a couple of videos on the KLR, and um, had some really good times. And actually, uh, miss a lot because uh, on the trip last uh, last year, I left Revelstoke in September, and uh, set off on this this journey around America. And, um, my buddy, Tim, he kind of said, Oh, you know, I'd love to do something like that. And I said, well, you know, at the time I didn't have the triumph and, uh, had just got back from a big trip around British Columbia and the Island and Washington. And, uh, yeah, I'd seen how good the roads were. So I wanted to buy a road bike and, um, I did eventually, um, talked myself into it. You know, you only live once <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I had the KLR sitting there and, you know, I'd done a lot of work and uh, spent the last three summers kind of, uh, you know, with the help of a lot of uh, gurus, KLR gurus around British Columbia and Washington. Um, had the bike to a, a standard where it, you know, was a world, you know, world touring bike. So it was ready to pack up and take off. And uh, coincidentally, Tim, you know, he was ready as well. So I sort of said, well, this is my route and... If you want to take the path with me, um, I would love to do it with someone else because 
at that point I started realizing, you know, I'd spent years of my life traveling alone and, you know, even the most beautiful sunset, uh, it's not the same if you're sitting there by yourself, if you can't share it. Tim didn't have a bike though. No, that was an issue. Tim, uh, you know, he was, uh, an Australian friend, but he had been working in the winter season here and there's not a lot of money to be found when you're working a seasonal job. Um, so he hadn't, he wasn't in a position to buy a new bike or anything. So, you know, I came to him and said, you know, this is the position I'm in. I can, uh, give you this bike to loan if you want. And, um, yeah. And so we started the journey and, um, Tim followed me for a couple of weeks through, uh, through the States and, um, you know, he didn't have the money or the time to, to continue riding for the whole trip that I had. But, um, yeah, that couple of weeks was fun. We, uh, we got to Tucson and eventually, uh, Tim was flying out and pretty much without a hitch. We had a few, few problems on the way down, but, um, by the time we got to Tucson, I think, you know, we'd camped the whole way and it was his first trip. So we we're quite fatigued, I guess. And, uh, it was on a Friday afternoon. Tim wanted some photos uh, in his underwear out by the cactuses. Of course, because <laughs> so, that's what you do, so, right? Yeah, it seemed uh, seemed <laughs> appropriate. So we so we rode out with a friend of mine from Tucson to Saguaro National Park, and uh, you know I, I liked my photography. So Tim put on his um, speedos. You know the uh, lifesavers wear them in Australia. You know you've got the uh, we call them budgie smugglers. But um, <laughs> Tim uh, Tim had those on with his uh, with his lifesaver badge or whatever it was and, and uh, an American flag, and took uh, did a photo shoot out by the Saguaro National Park. But uh, that all went well, and um, on the way home, uh, Tim lost control and uh, was on a really tight S bend. Um, you know, it was off camber on one side of the road, and he drifted out into the other side of the road, and there was a truck coming the other way, so he um. He got rammed by a Dodge is uh, kind of the <laughs> end of that story. Wow. Is he okay? Um, I'm not sure of the exact extent of his injuries. He he broke his wrist and um, I think he tore his a ligament in his knee. And But he was very fortunate. Um, split second either way and, you know, he would have been underneath the truck. So uh, the bike was underneath the truck. So that was what happened to the KLR. But Tim is okay now though. Tim is okay. He's currently in Portugal, I think, uh, surfing. <laughs> ah, okay. So that's that's nice to hear the happy ending to that, anyway. <laughs> but what yeah. I was where I was going with that was I was asking about the the bike you have. So the the bike is not your average bike. It's you're saying it's a speed triple. So so basically, for those who don't know, this is um this is more of a, a crotch rocket. Basically, yeah, it's a it's a naked sports bike, so it has no fairings, nothing to protect you from the wind, um, which I discovered was you know. An issue when camping and riding at ten or twelve thousand feet, um, you know, <laughs> late in the season, it can get pretty cold. Gets uh, snowy in some parts, and uh, some mornings, like uh, waking up in the north rim of the Grand Canyon, you know, where it's nine or ten thousand feet above sea level. But the older KLR is not much better than that anyway, <laughs> right? Because if you had, if you've only got a little tiny wind windshield on that. Well, I had the adventure mods, so I had, you know, a tall windshield and hand guards wow. and uh, heated grips. And so Tim was pretty well looked after. And, uh, um, but yeah, the speed triple's got nothing. It's just uh, handlebars and and a speedo. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, um, it does get a bit chilly sometimes. The wind can get to you. But, um, 
I don't know, I found some pretty good positions. I hide behind my tank bag, which sort of conveniently covers most of my torso. Um, you know, the hands hands get a bit frostbitten sometimes. And, that's uh, sort of like putting your thumb up to hide behind. That's not much yeah. protection. You're running knobbies on this too, aren't you? Yeah, so I've got uh, got the Kenda big blocks uh, on at the moment. And obviously, I you know, I set off and I'm an off-road rider now, I think. And I, I really look for the roads less traveled. Um you know, on this trip alone, I hardly touched any interstate. Um, you know, I, I really sort of spent a lot of time mapping it out and trying to find, you know, where those areas were that you could travel long distances on paved and off roads. Um, but yeah, towards the end of the trip, I had to uh, come back on pavement because I had a few issues with my tires actually. Um, when I got back from Mexico, I was in Tucson and hot day trying to put on a new tire on the rear t- on the rear and uh i damaged the bead so with these tubeless tires you know it uh, just wouldn't uh, wouldn't kept leaking you know so i had to put a tube in it and uh so now i'm rolling around on this giant knobby tire with a tube in it <laughs> and uh still got uh, seven or eight thousand kilometers to go so left on the tire you mean uh till i got back home oh i see <laughs> So, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting, but, uh, I think, you know, the knobby tires definitely set it apart and, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting choice because, well, at the time there wasn't a lot of guys doing that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, a lot of people found the bike particularly interesting, um, especially gas stations and stuff, you know, people would walk up to me every time I stop and, uh, you know, Go go through you know what tires they are and asking me all about them and uh, and then the bike they oh this isn't a normal this isn't a tiger you know, you know what are you doing and uh, I wear bright orange clothes so naturally you stand out a bit too <laughs> bright orange clothes w- why do you do that mm, well where do I begin that actually it um I just really like those colors the black and orange but um climb offered orange Mojave desert gear. Um, and I wanted to stick to the colors that I, I like, I guess I, I want everything to match. So if you see my motorbike, you'll know, notice everything sort of is particular about it. Um, yeah. And I just like, uh, keeping to that color code, I guess. You mentioned climb there and I think you're sponsored by green chili adventure gear too. Yeah, yeah, Ben and uh, Adam down in New Mexico. Yeah, they, uh, what, what do you do? What sort of green chili gear are you running? I've got the Uprising Soft Rack, and um, that you know, I've taken a few photos of it, but it's really hard to see um, or photograph unless you're in person uh, looking at it. I've found, uh, you know, usually all my gear is strapped to it, so you can't really see what's going on there. But um, the Uprising Rack, you know, it uh, has a couple of cams at the front that go underneath the seat and a couple of cams at the back uh, with straps that go behind the um the license plate and um yeah it just really locks in uh you know it gives you a lot of different luggage options i guess and uh my my setup is not traditional you know like uh, obviously it's on a bike that has no tie down points accessible on it and um you know sports bikes have that clean tail to them so they don't really have anywhere you can hook onto or put luggage uh, attached so i was looking for sort of alternative options and i've always liked the the soft luggage anyway 
Um, it's, that's an argument that uh, will go on till the dawn of time, I guess. Um, you know, what's better, hard or soft or anything. And uh, I've, I've experimented with both, but um, I found that, yeah, the Green Chili Adventure Gear rack uh, just gave me so many options. And uh, with the Nelson rig uh, drive bags, you know, they just fit perfectly on the tail so that um, it gave me freedom to, to quickly take it on and off as well. You know, I, I really like being able to get to my campsite. You know, I'm always looking in the afternoon for where I'm going to camp that day. Um, you know, I don't stay at campgrounds, so you have to be a little bit creative. <laughs> and uh, sometimes, you know, you're looking and you just want to get all the gear off your bike and set up camp. And that. And uh, I found with the other systems that, you know, you, I was messing around. And this one just uh, let me stealth camp a lot easier. Does that help you, you know, do trips around the world or is it just something you just gives you some gear to take with you? Um, no, I think, uh, I think my, my gear now is set up to a way which makes it a lot easier. I mean, even a few years ago when I, when I first started riding the KLR, you know, I had a little like a Walmart sleeping bag and, you know, whatever was cheapest, you know, I, I had, you know, typical KLR style, you know, like that's the, <laughs> That's the um, the norm, isn't it? You know, you just kind of throw whatever you can on the back of it in a milk crate and take off and camp in the in the wild. But um, yeah, now I mean, I've, I'm set up. You know, it it really stands out when I go out with some of my friends who you know have normal jobs and they come out on a weekend and you know I've got my my coffee bag that has my jet boil and my AeroPress and the grinds. You know, I'm kind of like I have all these systems set up in place and um, all my gear kind of just makes it more convenient for me, you know, because because I'm doing it all the time. I want to be able to access my things easier and have good quality gear. Um, yeah, it just sort of makes the whole adventure thing for me a lot easier because it is a lifestyle and it's not just a hobby for me. What is it about traveling by motorcycle that makes it a lifestyle for you? What, what is the essence of moto travel to you? Um, for me, really riding a motorbike, um, it just, it embodies adventure. I don't know. It's just, just, uh, so raw, you know, you feel it, you're not trapped in a little cell, you know, like you really spend your time smelling, seeing, feeling, you use all your senses, you know, you're not just, uh, you're not just traveling through a country. You, you're really experiencing everything it has and, you know, you, you'll ride through a small village or a town in Mexico or something and you, you know, you, you really feel a part of it. You're not just a, a traveler, you know, you, you're actually being, um, being, uh, initiated, I guess. You, you feel like you're a part of the country. And, uh, I think more so in countries like India and Mexico and where those smells and everything's so rich there, um, yeah, I think you, you'd miss out on all that experience if you just on a tour bus, <laughs> you know. So what about when it comes to tips, things you've learned doing your traveling and going on different bikes in different places? What sort of tips would you have for someone else who's considering something like that? What have I really learned? <laughs> it's hard to um, to put into a sentence, but I think buy good gear. I think invest in the best gear you can afford. Um you know, it might not be that you're wearing a climb, you know, Badlands jacket or whatever it is that you want to, uh, 
spend all your money on, but uh, buy the best gear you can. Um, travel light, I think, is uh, you know the the more I travel, I thought I would get more stuff, but I've actually got less. <laughs> so it's kind of been uh, yeah the opposite. No, that's, that's interesting. That, that is an interesting point. I mean, a lot of people talk about that, you know, about the taking too much. You, you learn when you go on your first trip, you've taken too much. And I think it's something you sort of, you relearn as you go along, isn't it? Yeah. I, I spend a lot of time writing, um, and thinking ways that I can improve what I'm, what I'm doing, you know, like when, when you're alone and you're on the road, you, you think, oh, you know what, uh, how could I do this better? And what can I put on my bike that would make this easier? And, and, uh, I think majority of the time I'm looking at my gear thinking, do I need that? <laughs> you know, do I just want that? Is that, is that a luxury item or is that something that I actually use every day? You know, mm-hmm. um, so I found definitely, um, yeah, less, less is more for me. That's a important thing that, I, and it's probably not true for everyone. You know, a lot of people like a lot more comfortable things. And certainly this trip, uh, I focused on trying to be minimalist and, um, you know, obviously doing things slightly different to the norm, you know, taking the uh, sports bike and taking it off-road and riding the Baja, but also things like uh, hammock uh, camping. You know, I, I use a lot of my gear that I hike with, ultralight hiking gear. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to see what I what I could uh, do with less stuff. And uh, th- it's true because, I mean, you experience things very differently when you've got less less to worry about. You're not as stressed and, uh, you just in generally, uh, you know, take things a lot easier. <laughs> what about attitude? I mean, you just mentioned you're not as stressed. Have you noticed any change or something you've learned as far as that goes when it comes to travel? Oh yeah. I'm a much different person now. <laughs> um, it'd be interesting to do an interview with uh, my ex-girlfriend on the phone, you know, uh, I think. <laughs> what do you mean to hear her description of you? Because the, your, your current girlfriend, I assume it is, describes you as this. And because you sent me this, Glenn's <laughs> character reflects in his appearance, experiences and values. Uh, to fully understand Glenn, you can't talk to someone about him. You need to talk to him. He has the ability to make you recognize things not only about yourself, but the way you recognize others and life pretty much getting to know Glenn is like being able to get to know everyone else you meet in a different way. Dot, 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 blah, blah, blah. He has a nice beard. The end. That was Steph's words. I'm not sure what time of night she sent me that, but uh, <laughs> when I found out I was going to be on doing the podcast, I said, well, you know, because one of the questions in the questionnaire was, you know, how would others ex- describe you? And, uh, I thought, who better to describe me than my girlfriend? Um, clearly, she, you know, was probably tired when she wrote that. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, you know, I'm well, not sure she th- she figured that I would quote her on it. But um, yeah, I think, um, well, she, yeah, she's super interesting. And um, but you were saying about your your ex girlfriend, she would describe you as a completely different person. Yeah, I think uh, you know, me, me personally have, I've changed, uh, a lot, you know, I've become, I've grown a lot of patience. Um, I'm just an entirely different person now. My, everything I want in life is different. I think when you have different priorities, um, your attitude changes and, you know, meeting people, experiencing the, you know, the plethora of different cultures and attitudes and, um, you know, no, no two people are the same. And I think that's, 
a really fascinating thing about the world is that uh, you can travel around and yeah, everything's so different. Uh, I don't know. It's um, it's made me open up a lot and um, learn about myself quite deeply. I guess you spend a lot of time in that helmet. Uh, you reflect on life. So what you've learned is, is because of travel and because of motorcycles is, is not just one or the other. The motorcycles helped because, uh, you know, those are different skills. Um, you have to, uh, you have to organize, uh, you have to, um, well, maybe you don't have to, I guess some people don't, <laughs> you know, you look at guys like Ed March and that, I wouldn't say he's that organized, but uh, he manages well. And, uh, <laughs> But for me personally, um, I've found a way that I have a system and, uh, you know, it's about perfecting what works for me. And uh, I spend a lot of time um, working on the bike and having things the way that I want them. Um, and that that uh, character in me or that uh, that personality trait about me has, you know, definitely been emboldened, <laughs> I guess. You know, that, that really uh, has come, come out in me. Uh, so, you know, I've learned a lot about me and the bike and traveling and, um, yeah, just being very open to, to things, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not caught up on worrying so much anymore. And that's what life's about for you right now. Motorcycle travel. That's it. That is your life. Yeah. I've got a few future plans. Um, you know, I went back to Australia and, uh, met Steph, uh, which wasn't really written in, <laughs> I just, uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen because I'm, I'm currently working on my permanent residency visa in Canada. Um, you know, I want to start a business doing adventure motorcycle tours in British Columbia, um, which I can't do until I get permanent residency. But, uh, you know, ultimately also I want to spend my, half my life back where my family is and where I come from. So I've, uh, looked at doing motorcycle rentals out in Western Australia uh, which is kind of the um, the industry I want to be involved in, I guess. Like, uh, I don't want to go back to mining. Uh, I don't see myself as an electrician in the future. But, um, yeah, I'm definitely looking at different options in the next sort of six to 12 months, um, heading home and uh, maybe renting out Triumphs uh, where I live. Well, it certainly sounds like an interesting life. Glenn, great to talk. Thank you very much. Yeah, cheers. Thank you very much for having me. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, just uh, get out there and ride, I think, is the important thing. And, uh, of course, if anyone's got questions, uh, I'm pretty much free to answer anything uh, in the future. And that was Glenn Baker, who's kind of made Revelstoke, British Columbia's home, at least for now. You can find out more about Glenn, of course, by visiting his website. He's got www.westcoastwanderer.org. And uh, I believe he's on Instagram as well. You can check out some of his photography there. And of course, as usual, that link will be in our show notes. Don't go away. We've still got more coming up. We're going to go to the Copper Canyon next. If you listen to this show for very long, I'm sure you know the name Brett Tax from our Rider Skills segment. 
Brett is one of the owners of PSSOR, Puget Sound Safety Off-Road. They do off-road training. As a matter of fact, it's uh, connected with Puget Sound Safety, which has been around since 1996, training motorcyclists uh, of all kinds. But in particular, as far as adventure riding goes, you want to increase your skills. You've heard Brett here. You know um, sort of what sort of a trainer he is. He, he's got skills and ways of teaching that make learning easy, right? And that's what you want to do when you want to learn how to ride your bike better. There's a couple of programs uh, that PSSOR offers that you should definitely have a look at. ADV Training Camps and the ADV Training Expeditions. The the camps are basically a, sort of a base camp style where you, you learn on site. But the expeditions are learn-as-you-ride trips. So you'll actually go on a trip and learn at different scenarios that they have set up there and even things that just happen along the way. Brett and I have talked about it on the show before. And they're popular. They're sold out for July, but you can still get a date in August if you hurry. So drop by their website, www.pssor.com. And of course, be sure to tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. You know, there's only a couple of mods that I've made to my bike that have actually made my bike handle better. Well, okay. They made it so that I can handle my bike better. (laughs) One of those is my IMS rally foot pegs. I have a a dirt driveway. So when I installed these pegs, the first thing I did stood up as I go out the driveway, as I often do. Not that I really have to, but it's, you know, it's a fun time to spin the tire or do whatever. But immediately as I stood there, forgetting that I just installed the pegs, I immediately felt the difference. I had a platform to stand on. I had leverage to steer. I had grip on my boots. It, It just made me grin right away. Now, after experiencing what a huge difference that these IMS pegs made for me, now I consider it really as one of the first mods I'll consider on any adventure bike that I get in the future is definitely to replace the pegs with a a wider foot peg. Hey, IMS has been around since 1976. That's over 40 years. And in that time, they've earned a solid reputation in the racing industry for quality products. They've got a full line of adventure bike foot pegs probably for your bike as well. Um, I think they've got most every bike on there. Drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. That's www.imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with IMS, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. In northwestern Mexico is a group of canyons, a group of six canyons, collectively called Copper Canyon. And as J.J. Lewis from the Good Adventure Company tells it, it is an incredible place to ride a motorcycle. The Copper Canyon is in northwest Mexico, so there are six distinct canyons um, from like six different rivers that, that make up the Copper Canyon. So uh, if you if you're going to go to Chihuahua, you're basically to get to Creel, you're about four and a half hours. So you would have to go um, southwest from Chihuahua City, and then you kind of hit the uh, rim of the Copper Canyon. And the six canyons, what do they do? They flow into one. They flow into uh, the Rio Fuerte, which then um, flows, you know, into into the ocean. How big of an area are we talking here? I do not know the exact acreage or, or what have you, um, but it's super vast. Um, you know, we we only basically 
have the tip of the iceberg down there in terms of terms of where we go. And we go, you know, go to the we go to Batapilas, we go to Eureka, and those are two distinct canyons. Um, so we we go down into one, we go up, and then we go down into the other one, and we go up, and then uh, and then we explore uh, some of the regions around there, um, some of the other canyons. And are there roads through all these canyons? I mean, this is an area that people live in. Well, the Tarahumara Indians have have lived there um, for the past five hundred years, so they're they are the native people. So um, they have created running routes. Um, this this tribe is known for their long distance running, um, and uh, there is a, a, a huge marathon that's in Eureka every year. That's an endurance race, and so. Um, you know, you, you'll see a lot of the native people running that endurance race. So basically, the trails that we run historically have been the pathways uh, where people have run for centuries. Why are they known for running? Um, the Terahumara, they are known to run up to 450 miles uh, within 48 hours. So if you do a YouTube search or you you um, look up uh, Caballo Blanco, who was a um, – American who went down to the canyon and uh, just got a lot of the running organized. Um, you'll be able to see the the history of the Terahumara. Um And when we go down into the canyon, you know, you will see uh, members of this of this tribe, um, and they wear kind of a, a white, um, large like loincloth skirt kind of thing, and real real colorful uh, shirt. And uh, either they run barefoot or they use uh, old tire treads cut up, and and that's all their footwear. They don't have Nikes or Adidas or whatever. They they run barefoot or with these tire tread sandals. It's it's absolutely amazing, and uh, you know you'll see an 80 year old grandmother who's got legs of a 20 year old, <laughs> and and yes, she she will run those extended those extended uh, you know runs um, just like people have for centuries. So it's a pretty amazing culture that we get to visit. Is there a reason that they would run those distances? Is that something to do with their culture or something to do with getting food? Or It has had a lot to do with persistence hunting from what I've read and what I've known is, is they will basically chase after the deer and make the deer tired enough that it gives up. Um, and, that's, and that's traditionally how they have uh, got their food um, is, is oh, through wow. that type of hunting. 450 miles, that's just unbelievable. I know, and they, they drink this... Uh, corn beer, which has a real low alcohol content, um, but has a has a lot of electrolytes in it, and they're trying to figure out what is it that gives these these folks the ability to run such incredible distances. And and a lot of a lot of what they've looked at is just their diet. And and uh, before they run long distance, they will drink a lot of those that that corn beer. And so maybe that hides some hidden electrolytes that, that we're not aware of. Wow. That is incredible. What else is, is special about the area? Like, what, what draws you to it as far as motorcycling goes? Well, it's the rugged terrain. Um, so as you know, and as I've said before, I love taking big bikes, big KTMs, big BMWs in places where it's just incredibly difficult to, to go um, and to make it out. Um, so I like the rugged terrain. I like the culture. We uh, we support a school down there, so we've given thousands and thousands of dollars to a, a local school, and so we get to go and visit the school every time we go down there. So it's almost like we're celebrities as we uh, go into some of these towns. Um, so I, I love the culture, I love the riding, you know. So you can you can really have a world class expedition 
uh, just a few hours from the border. What kind of riding are we talking about here? Is, is this rugged riding? Is this pavement? We do a mixture. So we like to say we do the best twisties of your life, uh, the best tarmac twisties that you've ever ridden like that, all that's day. That's in the canyon? They have tarmac twisties there? That's, that's to get to the canyon and that's around the canyon. Um, and when we go in the canyon, Jim, it's, it's the best off-road riding you've ever done in your life. Um, and, you know, it's not uncommon to use a winch. Uh, or use teamwork to get up um, some obstacles and some some climbs. Um, the weather changes a lot of the roads down there. And so one year it might be this way, and then the next year it's going to be that way. Um, so the most rugged terrain that you've ever ridden on your big GS and that you can't believe that you're going to make it through, we are going to help you make it through. So as far as equipping a bike, if somebody's do this trip with you or even if they're going by themselves, they're considering doing something like this, what do you do, equip? your bikes or how do you equip your bikes differently for this trip that you may not for another trip? Well, I just think about, um, mechanically, uh, at number one, how do you keep your bike, um, mechanically safe in the place that you're places that you're going? Um, if it's going to be huge rocks and, and, or loose rocks, you want to make sure that you've got a really, really substantial skid plate on your bike. That's number one. And number two, um, where we go, we really, really recommend soft luggage. So there's so many different soft luggage options out there. So you can fit whatever you want, basically, in that soft luggage. Um, and that that only helps if you tip your bike over. If you've got soft luggage, you don't have to hammer out your panniers. You you know you just have, it's like big you know pillows on your bike, if you will. Um, so again, skid plate, soft luggage. You want to make sure that you've got some really substantial boots. Um, there's no street boots or no touring boots. It's really um, you need a lot of coverage um, because you know when you do drop your bike and you drop it on your leg, you want to make sure that uh, we're not having to fly you out somehow. You know if 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 you don't have the right coverage, you want to make sure also that you've got um, the right pants, the right jackets. Um, and so we have we have uh, guys that will wear just regular motocross chest protectors when they get down to the canyon because of the heat and the rocks. And we have other guys that are fully outfitted in, you know, climb gear and, uh, and, and the heat and, uh, and making it work. So, you know, mechanically your bike, you know, your luggage and, uh, and your gear, you know, make sure that you have hardcore gear that when you go down, you're going to be protected. What about water and food and, and fuel availability? What's great about where we go in Mexico is, you know, there's there's fuel available. We, you, we rarely ever have to get gas from the locals. Um, water is available at every stop that we make. So, you know, a Santienda, you know, might not have gas, you know, in the middle of the canyon where we're going, but they're going to have they're going to have water. They're going to have electrolyte, um, you know, juice or whatever. So we're never lacking really for that down there because there's always a small store available. You just came back from a trip there, well, I guess just a couple of months ago. And, um, well, it was, that was an interesting trip from what I saw on Facebook. I saw uh, that, that uh, your, your lead guide ended up, well, what happened to him? Well, it was on the second day, our lead guide, uh, Veal, crashed. And it was a horrible crash. He totaled his, his GS adventure. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that sort of, you know, set the tone for the, for the adventure in some ways is that, gosh, what are we going to do now? Um, you know, um, we had to send him back on, uh, on his way and he had MedJet was able to repatriate his bike and that kind of thing. 
Um, but we really had to kind of, you know, dig deep and, and work together. And that's what I've always said to my, my clients is that I, I'm not going to give you a hand holding trip. You're going to have a true adventure. And so that's when the true adventure started. And, uh, we had another rider who, um, unfortunately broke her wrist and we had to get her flown out and had to get her bike repatriated as well from MedJet. Um, but it was just kind of one of those trips where, yeah, some of the stuff hit the fan, but everybody worked together and everybody at the end of the trip said, this was the best trip of my life. One of the portions, Jim, that was really exciting for, for us was where we were, we were in a place called the Golden Triangle. And basically we we were riding through the poppy fields and you're seeing really nice F-250s and and 16-year-old kids with, with AK-47s and that kind of thing. Everybody's really nice to us. Um, but we had to we had to get this ferry, and the ferry um, only goes at certain times, of course. And so we get to this ferry stop, and uh, you know it's supposed to come at like 6:45. Well, at 6:45, it's not here. You know, 7:15 rolls around. You know, 7:30 rolls around. 7:45 rolls around, and all of a sudden we're like, I guess we're staying here for the night. So um, had everybody kind of get their food arranged, and we were kind of preparing the plan for for that night and uh, about ready to rock and roll on that plan. And pretty soon in the distance, you hear the chug, 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 chug of the ferry. And we could not be as relieved as we were at that point. <laughs> but uh, it's normal for the schedule. It's Mexican time. You know, it, it goes on its own. So is this type of trip that you would always recommend that somebody go with either a group or maybe with a, a trip like, you know, you guys do where a guided trip, or is this something you could do on your own as well? You know, you can go down alone, and and I've gone down alone. You know, maybe five years ago, and it was it was pretty scary for me, um, not knowing the routes and really not knowing the culture and and not knowing Spanish that well. So it really was, you know, kind of scary. Um, so I recommend you know going down with a group of, of people that are familiar with the area, or you know, of course, coming down with with us. Um, we're going to do a variety of trips this next year, from a street trip to, you know, an hardcore expert only to an intermediate trip. So we're, we've got, you know, three different trips down there this next year. But I, I recommend that, you know, that folks are informed that, you know, you're going to see things that you wouldn't see in the U.S. and things are going to make you uncomfortable sometimes. Um, but that's normal for there. Um, you know, especially, you know, you know, the, the security is different. Um, the cartel obviously provides a lot of security down there where your local police, you would be used to seeing your local police. Well, your local police are not going to be down there. Um, somebody else is going to be running the security. And it doesn't mean that it's less safe at all. It just means that it's different. Um, do, do you have to that, go in and check in with them or something or pay them or anything when you're like for, for security? Um, no, we don't have any like direct cartel contacts, <laughs> at least <laughs> that I can mention on, on the air. But they do know that we go down to the school, and everybody knows that we go down. We we do things for the school, and so and then we have treats for the kids along the way in our tank bags, you know, candy and such. So the cartel knows that we're down there. Um, they know. I mean, they have radios. They know exactly when we're hitting the the trail to go up over the canyon and where, when the last person is. Um, and also, they also understand that if there's ever anybody who's got a problem with their bike, you know. They're the ones that are actually going to help us. So they're going to actually be kind of radioing where our location is. So um, mm. it, it almost, in, in one sense, ironically, is is somewhat of a sense of security. Um, you have to really kind of watch out for bandits 
you know, on different places. So those are the folks you really have to watch for as well as the police. You know, um, the cartel isn't um, something that we really worry about. Uh, in fact, you know, we, we have been welcomed and um, we stay out of their business and they stay out of ours. You know, it's a, it's a mutual respect thing. And as long as we're not, you know, poking our noses into certain places, it's fine. And that was J.J. Lewis from the Good Adventure Company who runs trips into the Copper Canyon. If you're interested in finding out more, drop by their website, www.good-adv.com. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed no electrical or vacuum connections it delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil www.motobreeze.com that's two eyes in there www.motobreeze.com Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Remember, you can download all of our episodes by visiting our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, or anywhere you get podcasts for that matter. And don't forget about the other show that we do, the monthly show called ARR Raw. It's a separate show. You subscribe separately. Again, downloadable anywhere you find podcasts. Remember, we're on Facebook and Twitter. You can communicate with us in both spots. My name's Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. See you next week. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio, and this is Tiffany Coates on the line from Land's End in England. (laughs) 